Glad to have you uh, in the house of God uh, this morning as uh, we're in our second week of our four morning uh, services here uh, at uh, Pursuit. Appreciate your prayers. Appreciate you helping invite folks as we build the house of God uh, together in this season. Wanted to begin this morning by just drawing out for you a little historical fact about the birth of Christ. And I'll do it in the form of a question. Do you know why Jesus wasn't born in Washington, D.C.? Because they couldn't find three wise men or a virgin. And so anyways, just... Uh, as somebody who has spent some time in, in Washington, D.C., I can promise you that is, that is accurate. I'll, I'll have to apologize to uh, one of our senior saints who was here this morning. I, I complimented her for her ugly Christmas sweater, and she informed me that it was her regular Christmas sweater. And so I apologize for that. Just a blanket apology uh, for all of those who, who were offended. Uh, this uh, this uh, week, I had the privilege of uh, meeting with a pastor uh, for the first time down uh, in Tacoma, who's leading a, a relatively good-sized church down in that region, and and uh, I'd been felt like it was on my heart to connect with him for a while, and so I made the trip down to Tacoma to, to go see him. And in the middle of our lunch meeting, he told me he said, "Pastor, this isn't actually the first time that we've met. Uh, in fact, about eight years ago, I, I met you for coffee, and you probably don't remember this, but we were meeting for coffee, and you said something crazy in our meeting. And that is certainly not beyond me. That, that would be a fair accusation, you know. And uh, Often in life, your greatest strength also turns out to be your greatest liability. And I was like, I'm sure I did, and that was eight years ago, and I, I was less saved eight years ago than I am today. I was saved back then, but just eight years less saved than I am today. And I thought, man, what did I say? And, and who did I offend? And, you know, everything's politically incorrect. And I just, I was kind of researching, trying in my brain to think up all the things I could have said to this guy. And he said, no, he said, right in the middle of conversation, he interrupted me. And I go, okay, that sounds like me. And, and he said, right during the conversation, you begin to prophesy over me in this coffee shop. And you said, the Lord is going to open up a door for you to do your master's degree. And somebody else is going to pay for it. And he said, do you remember that? And I go, no, but man, I guess if you said it happened, I, I could see that happening. And he said, I just wanted to let you know that today I'm enrolled in a master's degree program at Northwest and somebody else is paying for it. So he said this, I wanted to let you know I am living in the word that you declared over me eight years ago. <clears throat> the reason why I bring that up is because I think it helps give useful context for where we're at as a church. This church is proof positive, number one, that God is faithful to his word. Number two, that God is faithful to every generation. Number three, God is not slack concerning his promises. Number four, all of his promises are yes and amen. Number five, God is faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the reality. You're today living in the prophetic promise of other people who came before you. No, we are not, in fact, self-made. No, we, we are people who are just simply the next in line of a long line of God's faithfulness from the very beginning of all creation. It has always been on God's heart to do something in the Northwest. And we're not the first and we won't be the last, but for whatever reason, in this time and in this moment, God has drawn especially close and is doing something incredible in this place. 
And can I tell you, friend, eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God has reserved for his people in these last days. We are just now scratching the surface of his goodness, of his glory, of his outpouring, of his awakening. We are just now catching a glimpse. And I can promise you this, you haven't seen anything yet. This is about the top 10% of what I believe God is doing in even greater fashion underneath the surface. And I want to let you know from my heart to yours, although I appreciate and I honor what God is doing in this local church, it is bigger than just this local church. I believe that the Northwest is next in line for an awakening that will spark in the nation. I believe God wants to do something not just in this church, but in the churches of this region. And I believe that for whatever reason, probably because God has a sense of humor, that he so desired to say, you know what, I'm going to start some of it in a place that nobody has ever even heard of in this little place called Snohomish. And in doing so, God is proving it's not by might nor by power nor by man's wisdom, but by his spirit alone. And that's why God chooses out-of-town places and out-of-town people. That's why the Bible says God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Because if he chose the wise things, people would give credit to man. But when he chooses the foolish things, people go, this could not be anything else outside of the greatness and the glory of God. And that's why you're here this morning. Not because you're wise, but because you're foolish. You're not here this morning because you got a great spiritual resume. But because when you were in the miry clay, God picked you up. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. While nobody else would have picked you to be on their team, God said, I'll take that one. While you were irredeemable, God placed his anointing on your life. When your sins were as scarlet, he said, come let us reason together that they may be as white as snow. Because God, in the fullness of time, sent Jesus to pay a debt he didn't owe because you were so in debt and you couldn't pay. You're here today, not as a result of your greatness, but as a result of his. And that's why we say we're going to keep a big picture of God. We're going to keep a small picture of us. And I think that's what Paul means when he says he must increase and I must decrease. Not that I must be diminished in a way where I don't consider myself being made in his image, but where I recognize that it's actually to his glory and to his credit. You know, the quickest way to kill a move of God is to start taking credit for stuff you didn't start. That's the quickest way you'll dry up an outpouring. That's the quickest way you'll have the oil stop flowing is when you try to take credit for something God by his spirit is doing in the region. I'm telling you what, we're scratching the surface now of what God desires to do. And our best days are still ahead. It's just with this idea that I say these things, we owe the region better than we've given them. Don't we owe the region better than uninspired preaching, dead worship, and boring services? Don't we owe the region better than safe pastors preaching safe sermons to unsaved people? Don't we owe the region better than sails without wind, wineskins without wine, and jars without oil? This region deserves awakening. This region deserves outpouring. Friend, it's revival or we die. And here's what I feel convicted by this morning. Weak leadership has allowed giants to occupy land that God has given as a promise to his people. It's unjust that the Northwest is lost. It's unjust that so many churches are dead. It's unjust that families are blown apart by the enemy. It's unjust and the kingdom of God advances with a scepter of righteousness and justice to make everything that the enemy meant for evil, God would turn it into good. 
I want you to consider the story out of 1 Samuel 17 with David and Goliath. David's first weapon wasn't a sling, it was a harp. Watch, he would play it in front of Saul and evil spirits would leave. Meaning this, David wasn't trained in the war room, he was trained in the prayer room. Because there was a hidden strength that came from his life because of a dedication to the pursuit of the holy. Hear me, friend. God isn't looking for perfect. He's looking for pure. Purity doesn't mean you don't ever make a mistake. It means you refuse to allow falling down to define you. For even a righteous man falls seven times, but he get back up. And David, in the chronicles of his life and in his personal journey, Sometimes he goes from victory to victory, and other times it seems like he goes from defeat to defeat. But Scripture lists him as a man after God's own heart, which tells me that if God can use him, friend, God can use you. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for a purity in your heart. David was a musician and a shepherd, but watch, there was a grace on his life to become a king. Never despise your current assignment because it doesn't look as glamorous as your final destination. David's first battle wasn't with Goliath. It was wrestling with the insecurity of being overlooked even by members of his own family. David's first victory wasn't in front of the nation. It was in the fields defeating the lion and the bear as he took care of his father's sheep but it is simple obedience which changes history. And he who is faithful is small. Watch what scripture says. He will be given much. Friend, the anointing doesn't bypass your process. It binds you to it. Which means this. I don't come to the altar to get prayer to skip over the tough seasons of my life. I come to the altar to get prayer so that I can be equipped to fight every battle and have victory in the midst of the tough seasons of my life. No, your dedication to God doesn't exempt you from trial. What it means is that after you've done everything to stand, guess what? You're going to continue to stand. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. And that's always been true about your life. But here's the reality. It's in the presence of God that we're reminded who he really is. So that you can be reminded who you really are. David's first assignment wasn't fighting Goliath. It was taking care of things that most people would overlook. In 1 Samuel 17... The Bible begins with this story. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. The Philistines were the sworn enemy of Israel. In fact, it's where we get the name Palestine today. It's a derivative of the ancient word Philistine. God appointed judges, hear me, to deal with the Philistines. And the Philistines should have been defeated long before David was ever born. But instead of going to war against the Philistines, people like Samson slept with them. And anything you don't defeat in your life only gets passed on to the next generation for them to battle. And isn't it interesting how relatively small things turn into giants when you don't deal with them when you should. And in verse 4, the Bible says a champion named Goliath, who was from a city named Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. Now he was nine feet high and nine inches tall. Now Gath was an ancient city in Canaan. It was one of five major cities or strongholds that the Philistine people occupied. Gath literally means wine press. 
a place where the grapes are crushed to turn into wine. But here's what the enemy doesn't understand about your life. Even in your crushing, God is developing something beautiful. See, the battle was in a place called the Valley of Elah. If you ever go with me to Israel, I'll take you there so you can see it in person. But I want you to notice something. The enemy doesn't attack you when you're on the mountaintop. He comes to fight you when you're in the valley. Which means after you've been exhausted, because it's been a long week. Meaning after every appliance broke down in your house on the same day. Meaning after the basement flooded for the third time this month. Meaning after the kids are acting up and the marriage is tough and your emotions are running out, that's when the enemy sees fit. Because scripture says he ro roams around like a lion seeking to devour. Now he don't attack you on the mountaintop when you're built up and encouraged. He don't attack you on the mountaintop when you're standing around two or three who are strong with you. He says, why don't you come down to the valley when you're all alone and let me attack you at your weakest point. And that's why it's important we stay built up. Because the enemy waits until all hell breaks loose in your life and then he sends depression on top of it. Hear me, friend, your geography is important to God. Because even the things that you think aren't significant speak to the greatness of what he's about to do. I want you to notice that there are a lot of things that you lose when you get to heaven. You lose your pain. You lose your trauma. You lose your sin nature. The Bible says he wipes every tear from your eye. You lose every ounce of depression and anxiety and stress. You are in perfect peace and harmony with God. You know what you don't lose? Your nationality, your ethnicity, and your heritage. Let me prove it to you. Because in Revelation, John has a picture of heaven. And he says, I see members from every nation, tribe, tongue, and kindred around the throne worshiping day and night. Which means this, where you're from, the generation you belong to, the country of origin, it's important to God because God never does things by accident. There's a reason we're in Snohomish and God had it on his heart before we even had it on ours. In fact, when you study the spiritual history of this city, what you'll find is about 120 years ago, eight women likely belonging to the sawmill community that was starting to build in this city, which used to be the county seat begin to gather and pray that God would visit the city with awakening and renewal. And 120 years later, a group of young men and young women saw it fit that God again would stir ancient wells of outpouring in this city. See, God never wastes a moment. He is faithful to every single one of his words. From the beginning of creation, his word echoes into eternity past. He never wastes a moment of your story. Your family is not an accident. Your ethnicity is not an accident. Your geography is not an accident. And God, by his spirit now, is working all things together for the good of those who love him. I'm telling you, friend, God has just a real cool way of working even in ancillary details about your story and working it out for his good. In verse 8, the Bible says this, Now Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are not you the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him fight me. If he's able to kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him, you will become our subjects. And the Philistine said, today I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight. Watch, on hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Hear me, friend, your greatest spiritual gift in this season is the gift of availability. Not the gift to prophesy, although I love that. 
Not the gift to preach or evangelize or witness or pain. I love all those things. The greatest spiritual gift in this season is your availability. Let me prove it to you. In Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah dies, the Bible says Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up in his temple. The train of his robe fills the place. The presence of God is heavy in the house of God. The Bible says Isaiah sees angels flying back and forth. And he hears a question asked by the Lord. Who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, watch, here am I, send me. But then Isaiah follows it up and says, but, but I've got unclean lips. And I'm a man amongst a nation of people who are unclean as well. But God, if you'll have me, I'm willing to be yours. Here am I, send me. I told you, Fred, God isn't looking for your perfection. He's looking for the purity of your heart. And I think purity is best demonstrated by a spiritual availability. How many of you know that God oftentimes invites you to the next step, even when you don't know how the outcome's gonna look? Why? Because simple obedience changes history. And God doesn't owe you answers related to your outcome because obedience is better than sacrifice. And so often, even though we're people of faith, we hold God hostage to how the end looks before taking the next step. But if you knew exactly how it was gonna look like, it wouldn't be a walk of faith. And scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Scripture says that the Lord directs the steps of a righteous man. Scripture says raise up kids in the way that they should go, that they would never depart from it. Friend, we don't know how the story ends in the sense of how it's going to look and the way it's going to manifest and the things that God will do and the people that he's going to bring. But what I do hear him say it is there's another step for you to take. And as you take steps, that light and that lamp illuminates the path. And David didn't know what he was getting signed up for when he said yes to his father to bring cheese and bread to his brothers in battle. And can I tell you, if you knew what you were signing up for when you said yes to Christ, you probably wouldn't have said yes either. But the, the foolishness of God is wiser than the, the wisdom of man. And God is just looking for your yes. He's just looking for your simple obedience. Hear me, I want you to see something. Your victory isn't just about you. Watch what Goliath says, because he actually says something prophetic. He says, send me your fighter. If he defeats me, we will serve you. But if I defeat him, you will serve us. I want you to see that when you have spiritual victory in your life, when you sign up to fight the good fight of faith, when you begin to see giants fall in your spiritual roadmap and in your trajectory of your destiny, it's not just about you coming into fullness. It's about the freedom that echoes in your sphere of influence. Yeah, come on. Goliath says, David, if you defeat me, our people will serve your people. See, giants operate as strong men. Watch, as principalities and powers. And when you come up against giants that have stood for a long time and threatened your family and have hurt your generation and have done warfare against the good things that God desires to do in and through your life, when you begin to have victory and giants begin to fall, the nation begins to rejoice because all of a sudden, that thing which has mocked the armies of the living God now comes into subjection to the people of God. So what are some of the giants in this area that need to fall? Depression, addiction, suicide, paganism, 
New Age secularism. Come on, you name them, we have them. And they don't get any smaller if we pretend they don't exist. All they do is get passed on to the next generation. I refuse to sleep with the thing that God has asked us to kill. And when giants fall, the nation rejoices. And when giants fall, the region comes into freedom. That's what's important about your spiritual fight. That's why you can't give up. Because people you've never met depend on your faithfulness. That's why you can't get up. Because the region depends on your obedience. That's why we've got to stand. That's why we've got to conquer. That's why we've got to press through. Because it's not just about this church succeeding. It's about the region coming into awakening. You got to find your place. You got to take up this fight. For 40 days, hear me. The Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand, 40 days. You've got to understand in in Hebrew culture, there was significance attached to numbers. We see this all throughout Old Testament, even New Testament. In fact, there's a whole book written about it in the Old Testament. It's called Numbers. 40 is a significant number. Rains flood the earth 40 days. Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days. The Hebrew children in the wilderness, 40 years. The first three kings of Israel all reigned subsequent, 40 years. Jonah prophesies to Nineveh, 40 days. The number 40 is the number of testing. Oftentimes stories of testing are connected to 40 day or to 40 year time periods. Hear me, friend. It's been 100 years since Azusa Street. It's been 70 years since the latter rain outpouring. It's been 60 years since the charismatic renewal. It's been 50 years since the Jesus People Movement. It's been 40 years since John Wimber and Vineyard. Isn't it time for an awakening of our own? Isn't it time for God to do it again? Is there not a cause for people just like me and just like you? For 40 days, Goliath tested the armies of Israel. And for 40 days, the armies of Israel were weighed and found wanting. But on the 40th day, Jesse sent David with a message. Is there not a cause? Hear me. If we won't, God will raise up another. Now, you've been tested by the region but you're too stubborn to leave. It's revival or we die. You've been tested by sickness. You've been tested by disappointment. You've been tested by frustration. You've been tested by, by insecurity. But get ready because this is a season where God will give you victory. In Psalms 105, the Bible says this of Joseph, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. You know, when you receive a word from the Lord, first it tests you, then it tempers you, and then it becomes true through you. No, prophecy isn't a guarantee. It's an invitation into a test. And once the faith and perseverance of your heart is tested and tempered, once you stand firm in the midst of trial and tribulation, then the thing that you have contended for can be delivered. This is why Paul tells Timothy, his true son in the faith, this. He says, Timothy, remember the words that I spoke over you. He says, Timothy, remember what was stirred up in your life by the laying out of my hands. 
And the next time that you get down and the next time that you doubt and the next time you feel like my best days are behind me, not ahead of me, I want you to remember and rehearse those words until you fan into flame the spark that still exists in your life. That's what we do here on Sundays. We are stirring it up. We are stirring ourselves to believe that God is not done. God is still on the throne. Yeah, we've got some giants. They can be intimidating, but friend, you were born for this. We were born for this. This is why you're here. This is why you're created. We're not just having church so we can pay the electric bill. We're not just having church to help you facilitate friendships. I think that's important, but the primary reason the church exists is to glorify Jesus. And when you glorify Him, you are invited to rule and reign with Him in heavenly places. You were created as a giant slayer, but religion has put you to sleep. And even worse, convinced you to sleep with that which you were supposed to overcome. No more, no longer. I'm not gonna apologize for revival. I'm not gonna apologize for the church growing. I'm not gonna apologize for people showing up and pulling out extra chairs. I'm not gonna apologize for no parking for six blocks. I'm not gonna apologize for the thing that we have contended for. This is outpouring and this is awakening and there are still more giants that need to come down. The Bible says this in verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and I will take your head from you. We are not here to negotiate a treaty with the things that scare us. Some Christians live that way so they can avoid warfare. Well, you just stay over there and I'll just stay over here. I'll just pretend like there isn't dysfunction in my generational line. I'll just pretend like there's not trauma in my family. I'll just pretend like the Northwest deserves what we have. I'll just pretend that religious apathy is my portion. I don't want to wake up the giants, but you were built for this. Why? Because the God of angel armies stands with you and the enemy works overtime to get you to operate in insecurity and doubt and that's why scripture reminds us for god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power love and a sound mind not so that you could just feel better about your existence but so that you could do something with the invitation of the hour friend is there not a cause for you and me I love the conversation that David has with Saul as he's getting ready to fight. Saul says, why don't you wear my tunic? And, and, and why don't you take my sword? And why don't you wear my helmet? And, and David tries, but it doesn't fit him. And finally he says to Saul, I can't walk in this because I haven't tested this. It doesn't fit me and it's not who I am. And I know what you're thinking this morning. Pastor, this church doesn't feel like it fits, man. 
it's a little different than what I expected and, and it's a little different than the one that I used to go to and, and, and it, it, sometimes it rubs me the wrong way and it might even be a little abrasive and, 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 it, and it feels like you're fighting all of hell when you're up there on the stage and, 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 and it, it's just a little different than where I came from. Frank, can I tell you, I was built for this. Hear me, hear me. I tried to wear Saul's armor, but it didn't fit. I tried to be safe, but it didn't fit. I tried to be a nice little ark church, but it didn't fit. I tried to be a nice little denomination, but it didn't fit. I tried to play everybody's rules, but it didn't fit. I tried to just go for religion, but it didn't fit. No, friend, you were built for this. This is always who you've been. You've been clothed with awakening. You've been clothed with revival. You've been clothed with encounter. You've been clothed with outpouring. This is always who you've been. You were built for this. Let me adhere, let me adhere, I'm stirred up. David kills Goliath, you know the story. And here's what happens. When David kills Goliath, the nation begins to sing. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I want you to see this friend. David started his career as a musician in a field, writing songs he thought nobody else would ever hear about a God he barely knew. But what was residentially inside of David was released in any atmosphere he walked into. Watch the principle. Joseph is a dreamer. When Joseph is put in prison, what happens to the other prisoners? They begin to dream which tells me this, what is residentially true about the spiritual identity that you carry is released in and through your sphere of influence when you have victory over giants. David wasn't hosting a worship conference. He didn't write a song for the nation to sing. He didn't tell them sing this song and make Saul feel insecure. It was just the net result of a musician who had victory. The nation began to sing. And when you have victory as a mom or as a dad or as an artist or as a servant or as a student or as a pastor or as a kids ministry volunteer, when you begin to have victory in your life, it echoes freedom in the region and all of a sudden and people begin to come into their fullness. All of a sudden, what is on you is released in and through their life. And we see the God of miracles do his best work. Come on, would you stand with me as we close?